funny thing about you is you really seem seem drawn to the collective. You mean uh, community? Yeah. Well, in, in terms of like you know these sort of like getting these kind of like these studios, these groups together. I love to be around people. Yeah. I, I probably don't exist when I'm not around people, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, that's a good observation because I've always been drawn toward uh, collectives, posses. Maybe it's a Rat Pack thing, you know, like the Sammy Davis, Dino, yeah. and Sinatra and those sure. guys. And I've always, like, there's strength in numbers, I guess, yeah. you know? And maybe, uh, for my bravado, I don't have a lot of confidence. Huh. And I think that... It's coming from a guy who takes his shirt off, like, a, a lot. Off. Well, the reason why I do that is because I'm shy. Yeah. I actually am shy, so I rip <laughs> off my shirt and act like a buffoon. Um Actually, my dad once told me an interesting thing about James Dean, hmm. which he was doing a performance in public, and he had to be vulnerable, I think, in the scene, and he was having a hard time doing it. I, he might have had to cry or something, yep. and uh, he kept doing take after take after take, and it wasn't happening. So finally, uh, and it was a crowd forming, and James Dean was famous at the time, and he turns around, and there was a tree nearby, I think, and he unzips his zipper, whips out his dick, and relieves himself. Mm-hmm turns around and does the scene perfectly and i think the idea was like now you've seen everything you've seen okay. my dick i've just peed yeah now i can cry you know and i think in a way uh you know i'm ripping off my shirt because maybe i have a certain kind of tourette's you know but at the same time i'm like trying to be vulnerable it's sort it almost like it, it kind of deflects that a little bit too it, well, it deflects, but also it's like I'm not in shape. I'm not yeah. a model, you know, and I'm not like trying to flex something that, you know, it's not there. Yeah. It, and, and you know, if they say that whole term about the emperor's clothes, you know, like I'm just going to get naked, you know, and vulnerable so that hopefully, you know, it, I guess on the one hand, it's like it might draw you or, or repel you either way. You know, there's you can have polar opposite yeah. reactions. But if you're into picking up what I'm laying down, <laughs> it could be a ratty T-shirt, you know. Maybe you'll check out my comics, yeah. you know, and and I know we live in a culture right now where like a Paris Hilton, all she's got to do is walk out of a car without wearing panties and everyone's talking about her mm. or Kim Kardashian just has to show a selfie of her, you know, posing in the mirror with her butt hanging out and that will get more clicks and hits than something that, of actual content. Now, the the fear is that you might click on the, the, the silly picture I might put sure. up, but hopefully I'm drawing you to the content that I feel is important. And that is a competition these days with everyone and their mom. I mean, publishing has become synonymous with letting me know what you had for lunch today, you know, like in a lot of ways. And I might be the grumbling old man right now talking, you know, but... uh, You got into that early on the I'm sorry. (laughs) If if I'm, if I'm, if my, you know, the thing that I'm sitting here Mm -hmm. late at night working on, and again, nobody put a gun to my head. Nobody told you that you had to read my comic, and I'm not forcing that upon you either, or my short story, or whatever it is I'm trying to create. Uh, if I'm competing with, you know, grandma's lunch, that's kind of fucked up. You know, we, we, it, it, the internet, the idea was that it leveled the playing field mm-hmm. in some way, right? Yeah. And it, 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 you didn't have to be sanctioned by the, the progenitors of cool or whoever, pay, you know, the pay-for-play type thing. It's supposed to be this idea that... Um, you know, your friends and, and family and peers are turning you on, you know, to things. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I feel like I am curating an experience online. Like when you come to my Facebook or my Twitter, you know, half the time I'm posting about someone else. Because to me, that's the community. That's going back to the collective. Like I, I 
But who I am is what I like. Does that make sense? You surround yourself by people whose work you enjoy. Who I enjoy. Yeah. Or, holy crap, did you see this thing? Yeah. Or, and that's what we're all doing for well, each other. Well, that's what, when I came in here, that's what you were, you were pointing at things and you were mm-hmm. showing like all the, and obviously there's a lot of cool stuff around us. And in here, for the context of the interview, yeah. is Hang Dai Studios, located in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Um, I, I, I guess what's what's really interesting to me about the fact that, that you're, you're you're sort of drawn to these these group spaces, and and you know I've, I've I've seen a few of them, but but there's this notion, and I think it's accurate in a lot of cases of of the cartoonist as being the completely solitary figure of mm. you know just like going into a room, closing themselves off, and mm-hmm. coming up six months later with a comic book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't find this to be. Uh, distracting you don't yes, find it hard yes it is you, it it's is. very distracting in fact it feeds into the fact that I hate to draw I hate, I'm sorry I hate to sit down and draw yeah. like the solitary thing about okay. drawing for me the most challenging part of creating a comic actually is um, the layout you know hmm. how, to, how to create that space to, to show a story once I've achieved that goal in a thumbnail, yeah. you know, that sometimes can take five minutes, often takes an hour or a few hours just to figure out the right composition that I feel works. Because, again, you can approach a story in any way. But after that, it's just the craft. It's just shaping it, drawing it well enough to, you know, for clarity and, and hopefully some kind of impact. But that, to me, is the work. That, that's just like I, I don't like doing that, that part of the job. So, I mean, I, I was just saying – to someone today like there's so many if you want to say better artists or worse artists so many better artists I feel like the thing that I excel at if anything is a layout and how to show a story you know hmm. um, and and going back to the confidence issue I had no confidence in writing I, I grew up when I was 12 years old in what 1970 something 9 or something uh you know, I looked at, at the credit boxes of the comic book, and there was the writer, the yeah. penciler. The, and, and so I decided, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll be the penciler. Uh-huh. There was no way I was going to be the writer. Yeah. You know, because I thought there's no way I could create huh. these stories. But then discovering American Splendor by Harvey Picar, yeah. which is true life stories. Yeah. Discovering Chester Brown's Yummy Fur, who created his own universes, I realized, oh, wait a second. I could be a custodian of some of the franchise characters, you know, and help with their legacies. Or I could just write my own life stories or create my own characters. And I've done all of those so far. But uh, going back to the idea of like writing them, that took a long time to get yeah. to that headspace that where I felt like, all right, here I go. I hope this story I tell is, is worth your attention, you know, your five minutes. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to – obviously we're going to talk a bit about the, 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 the P-car and the, and, oh, you know, and the autobiography sure, and as sure. it relates to B- – Beef and tomato, but um, I, I just I want to get back to this idea because that you don't you don't enjoy the process of drawing. I I, I enjoy the challenge yeah. of figuring out how the story will will be conveyed visually. Okay, I I love storytelling mediums. Yeah. Okay, um, you know a lot of writing is actually typing, so the writing part happens in the editing, and in a weird way, that's what laying out a story idea sure. is just like this editorial process that you you put yourself through and then after that once i've achieved the goal once i've figured it out the, the secret's been you know uh presented yeah then you just gotta spend like four to eight hours making that happen just so that it becomes about three seconds three to 15 seconds to, before a page turn in a comic yeah. so i mean one of my goals is that some some people have said that they like my layouts a lot just the way it looks 
So I want to get to a place where I'm drawing as fast as you're reading, <laughs> which is impossible. Yeah. But if I can get halfway there, I might get to a place where I feel better about sitting at the art table. And also, you're talking to a guy. You were just talking about uh, solitude, right? Sure. I want to be out on stage. You get antsy. I get antsy. I, 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 I have a lot of energy. Yeah. Okay? Uh, I, I, I've, I've, I've curated and hosted salons. I like to be out. My personality is screaming to be in front of people. Now, it doesn't mean I want to be Tom Cruise hanging on the side of an airplane, you know, or, or necessarily become, you know, some kind of actor, uh, Shakespearean type thing. I, I just love being around people. So, you know, t- to work alone, which I did recently for a month at Yaddo in Saratoga Springs, mm-hmm. New York, when I got the, the honor and the privilege to uh, go to, to this amazing place. It's a mansion with 400 acres of land, and, and it's next to this beautiful horse racing uh, place arena. And you get a room. They feed you, and there are quiet hours. Yeah. And sure, you can talk to people, but the whole point there is to steep in yourself. And I've d- gone there three times now. And I remember the first time I went there, Within four days, I believe, I realized that I was a fraud, that I had no talent, and, and I was lying to everyone. Now, when I say I realize that, it's sure. not true. Yeah. It's how I felt. What, because what? you go through this process of like, yeah. wow, am, am, am I faking the funk? Yeah. Am I voguing? What am I trying to say? So what happens is you start to go, not that everything you do, a scribble is a scribble, okay? Or a fart joke is a fart joke. Not everything has full meaning to it. But I started to realize, oh, if I'm going to spend a lot of time at the art table, and I'm actually in this room alone a lot. There mm-hmm. might be six desks in here, but uh, me and and my uh, and Krista Cassano is here a lot. Yeah. I, I see about five people a week, okay? You get to go to a job. You probably see a bunch of people. I do. You know, I yeah. don't have any of that. I'm actually alone more than my personality uh, enjoys, yeah. okay? So as much as I have this opportunity to have people in the room, I am often isolated in my corner, you know, struggling with these ideas and trying to figure out how to make comics. And, and that's another thing, going back to the confidence thing. I, I'll probably be learning till the day I die. I mean, that's a good thing, Absolutely, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to get stuck in, a, in the trap of, well, this yeah. is how I draw now. This is how I tell stories, you know? So, so, so I mean, if, it, if, if it's such a, a painful thing and if, you, and if you do have some... I don't know if opportunity is the right word, but if there are you know plenty of occasions where you're alone here, uh, what what drove you to that retreat in the first place? Was it the challenge of working? Uh, I, I, it was. It, uh, Jonathan Ames went. And he's okay. written about this retreat. Uh, I've heard, of course, about other famous retreats or, sure. or not even famous retreats. There's a ton of retreats yeah, yeah. for artists to go to, and it, it it did not appeal to me originally. And then my girlfriend was like, "Oh, you should try to go, and I'll try to go," and I got in and. I got in for writing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even show my artwork mm-hmm. because I didn't want to go. I wanted to take a break from art, from drawing comics. In fact, one of my rules was when I go there is to not work on comics, yeah. even though I have. But most of the time I'm there, I'm writing prose. I've started a novel there. Mm-hmm. I've written a screenplay there. Uh, I was finishing up a TV pilot. Like I try to do other yeah. uh, storytelling mediums while in this this retreat where you are basically isolated and fed well and you're in the country and I'm hanging out with deer and you know uh, all kinds of you know animals and and it's a reflective time it's a meditation that I'm sure. not used to uh, facing if that makes it's sense the, the, the problem with 
I mean, you know, the problem with turning out, turning off all the external noises is that you end up having to hear, listen to the voices in your head. Yes. The things that you're trying to drown yes, out with all do. of the, all these other things. I hadn't thought about, you know, it's funny because I have a lot of trouble sleeping because I, I fell off a three-story building when I was 21 and broke both my legs and my oh. lower back and my right drawing hand. And I've also been in car accidents and I've broken a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. So when I go to sleep. I my body kind of as it starts to shut down and usually when I go to sleep I'm passing out I'm not like tucking myself in bed yeah. like a healthy human being yeah. uh, but I start to feel my body a yeah. lot more and I start to get anxiety because I start to think about my career or you know uh, rent or whatever it is that's going on that we all struggle with right and I recently discovered at a hotel a thing called a white noise machine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my girlfriend got it for me for my birthday yeah. And it really helps. And it's kind of interesting. I, I often will watch a movie or specifically horror before I go to sleep because I want to get away from my head. And, and I'm not saying I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to murder the world. It's not like that kind of stuff. It truly is just like money woes and yeah. like the fact that the kind of monies that you make in comics is really just handing it to the landlord. I don't have savings. You know, uh, I've been going to these Wizard World Comic Cons because they invited me as a guest and they pay me, but also that's allowing me to pay for health insurance. I haven't had health insurance in 15 years. Mm. I haven't used it yet, yeah. but now I have it, you know, and maybe I will go get a doctor's appointment and find out how I'm dying. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, the, the white noise mas- machine was very attractive. I, I had no idea. And I guess I do kind of surround myself, not to say the people here are white noise. But it allows yeah. for activity, well, you know? To, to, to even, like, to pull back on that a little bit, and this is something I thought about a lot when I, I, I moved to the city. Um, I'm from California. In I California, went to school okay. in, in Santa Cruz, which okay. is, it's in, it's in the woods. It's in the middle of the river, oh, okay. of course. Right. And um, I, I didn't realize this until my first time back to Santa Cruz, after having lived in New York for a little mm-hmm. while, was that there is never... There's just never a point when things are completely quiet. There's never a point when things are completely dark. Nothing ever... Here in New York. In New York. Never. Nothing ever shuts off. Never shuts off. In fact, when I first moved from New York to Brooklyn, and when I I grew up in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. uh, and I moved here 18 years ago, it felt like I was moving to the country, (laughs) first of all. Yeah. And it it was the first time I Maybe 15 years ago was a little... Sure. (laughs) And and I, I... I heard for the first time what uh, what silence, and it was loud. Yeah, because I'd be sleeping or laying in my back room away from the street, and my my I, my apartment has windows that face the street, and I could hear through the apartment like three stories down, someone walking down the street, the clip clop of their shoes. Yeah. And I didn't hear that in Manhattan. What I heard was fire engines and people screaming and dying and, like, wind and, like, that white noise of, yeah. and chatter of people and everything else. And I could go to sleep to that. You know, that's what I relied on. Or maybe that's how I was trained, you know? Well, that's – that's that, I mean, that, that that's actually – that's really interesting because, you know, I wonder how much we are informed by – you know, not not just in the sense of, like, where, where we grew up and, and things around us, mm-hmm. but, just, but just the activity – the noise. I wonder if that's why it's hard for you to. It's, shut, we're talking shut about off. ambience. In a way, yeah. we're talking about an ambience. And like, I mean, as an artist, 
you know, I don't know if you ever ask people like what music they listen to or what do they listen to as they're drawing type of thing because sure. you know some people can work in silence and to me I have a problem with that. Podcasts are really big. With podcasts, podcasts are big. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but in terms of music, like I grew up on hip hop, funk, reggae, yep. you know that kind of stuff, and with a lot of lyrics and Prince. Prince was my favorite, and I still listen to some lyric based music, but mostly I listen to industrial music, mm. electronica, analog electronica, a lot of stuff where. It's kind of like a dehumanized kind of ambient yeah. beat to it, uh, but I find the humanity in that somehow when mm. I'm listening to it. Oh, you know, I, uh, John Carpenter soundtracks, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Dissonant. It, it, it's like it, it's it's like uh, erotic horror, <laughs> you know, some of it, uh, and maybe that informs the drawings. I don't know. I mean. The thing also about drawing comics or making comics is that you're repeating kind of a story idea in different iterations. Yeah. From writing it to laying it out to penciling to inking to coloring. To very you literally keep revisiting drawing the same thing over and over, over and over again. So that's also a brutal kind of labor. Yeah. Um, which is why if I could find a way to master my layouts so that the layouts can with a minor tweak, whether it's with a brush stroke or a, a, something in Photoshop where it becomes the final art. You know, like I, as a kid growing up and, and seeing Gary Panter's art, I didn't get that. Yeah. You know, but now I do. That's really one of the things that's really stuck with me. I was reading a, um, you know, Chris Ware has those sketchbooks mm-hmm. that he put out. Uh, I mean, obviously, like Chris Ware is one of the great comics geniuses. There's um, no question about he's that. He's like our Picasso. Yeah, and, and and you know his stuff is so so detailed you know you look at a page and it's clear that he spent like hours if not days on a page and I was you know I was flipping through the sketchbook and obviously the sketchbooks are, are pretty curated but there, there are definitely some really kind of raw candid moments mm-hmm. and I remember very clearly in one of them it says uh, something along the lines of like I would give anything to draw like Gary Panter really and that's it's mind blowing when you think about somebody like Chris Ware mm-hmm. who is Kubrickian. I mean, yeah, the I, guy, like, when you see his sketchbooks, what's interesting is, like, oh my, I want to see him draw a comic like that. Yeah. Right? And then he boils it down into true cartooning, because cartooning is a reduction, right? Mm-hmm. But he does it in this way that's almost like he's created the internet on a page, <laughs> where it has these levels. Yeah. And you keep in, and or rather like than clicking board, it, or, or it's a circuit board that, yeah. like, you go from this point A to point B, yeah. point, and like you keep going down levels. Yeah. And that's how he can construct a page sometimes. And he, he removes all humanity, you yeah. know, while telling a human story. You know, there's this kind of like uh, tug of war he has between the line art and what he's trying to convey story wise. But the know? fact that all he wants out of his life is to be able to draw like Gary Panter, who I know. is. Just know. you know, I, I mean, I think that's what we all in at the end of the day we all want to be Gary Panther because it, it's this innate. You know who our Gary Panther is today? You know Josh Bayer? Yeah, yeah. Josh Bayer is I. I can't tell how much of that's on purpose. Have you seen some? He he. I've seen some of his real. He does can do really complex, sure. and technically like accurate stuff. Sure. Like he can draw like Kirby or somebody like right, that. Right. But then he does this fully. It's it, it's. I think it's very. Uh, uh, very intentional. It, it's got to be intentional, but to to know that yeah. is what's amazing, and like to let that happen. Yeah, and uh, like I mean, sometimes I'll look at Benjamin Mara's work, which mm-hmm. is very hyper kind of controlled. Yeah, and I'm like, it's purposely the foreshadowing is wrong, it, it, or I mean, when I say foreshadowing, like the way an arm is coming at you, but it looks like it's it's almost yeah. behind the body because yeah. it's it looks wrong. You know, yeah. it's like and outsider art, it's insider out- outsider exactly. art. Exactly, but yeah. but like if you look at it, a photograph. Yeah, 
and if you were to draw the photograph of an arm coming at you, it might it's not Kirby. Yeah. It looks like what Benjamin Marr is doing, actually, if you yeah. were to make it two-dimensional. So, and then when you learn that basically Kirby at one point, and I've heard this uh, Mark Evanier or Avenier say, mm-hmm. like one time he saw Kirby take a blank page and in one corner drew a fist and at the bottom right corner drew the foot and then did a scribble over one and then somehow figured out how to put Filled the figure the together that way. Yeah. And that's how he arrived at these insane poses, it seems. Like, huh. And he was also, it was in his mind. Like, they, yeah. it was like the whole page was there somehow. You know, is again, it, that's a whole other kind of genius. Well, that's that's interesting. I mean, is that is that? Do you think that's like? Um, I think Burroughs called it like the cutout, where he would just go, he would go to a magazine and just cut out certain words and, sure. and construct stories around that. Sure, is is that what that is? You is do that, it long is he, enough. He's challenging himself. Well, there, there's there's you can challenge yourself. You can create little mini contests. I just think that like once you arrive at your shorthand, which yeah. I think. On one level is 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 a reward or, or or some kind of like you know you got to this place this plateau, but you also don't want to be caught by that you know caught in the web of it as yeah. it were. But if you can get to a place where you're like, okay, I finally shrugged off my influences because we all start somewhere by mm-hmm. copying something and someone, sure. and then you finally arrive at your own kind of like signature style. And, you know, for some people, it's just like Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein is one of the most beautiful things. There's no way I would ever want to draw like that, you know, or like uh, is it Katsuhiro Otomo or Otomo Katsuhiro? I always get can't figure out. One of them's right in Japanese. Uh, You know, it's it's full technically. And his Akira. And of course, he had all these assistants and like these beautiful scenes and like buildings. And like, uh, again, I like to enjoy it as a as a reader, you know. But so you have to find your own kind of, you know, is it a scribble? Is it something that's like, you know, uh, ornate, you know, and 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 vast Uh, or like, you know, even filmmakers like, you know, you can always tell a Sergio Leone movie. Based on the, the yeah. vista and the close-up, and the way you know he paces the scene, where it takes twenty minutes to shoot a gun. <laughs> but but you but you you have a, a, a well enough defined style that I've seen you uh, draw pictures with differing levels of complexity, some sketchier than others, but sure. they're all clearly Dean. I I really appreciate you saying that. I don't see it myself yet, and that is something that I hope I'm getting to. Yeah, because again, that's like your personal calligraphy yeah. you know trying to figure out how to get to that place so that you can be identified in a lineup you know yeah. uh, and maybe that is uh, my version of take off my shirt is to be able to find a line that is pure Dean yeah. I don't I couldn't tell you what that is but if you're able to identify that that's really cool I mean look look at me a lot of people are doing Paul Pope yeah you know yes uh, I would hazard that like if you were to look at the lineup of like the really influential people it was Kirby yeah then I would say Neil Adams. I think Neil Adams like sure. created a lot of clones at first, sure. you know, starting with Bill Sienkiewicz, you know, yeah. he started off as a Neil Adams yeah. clone and then he found his way through Bob Peake and other artists, you know. Uh, then after that, I would say Michael Golden. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he doesn't get a lot of credit, I yeah. think there's a lot of Michael Golden clones, you know, with, with Art Adams and then a lot yeah. of people drawing. Yeah. And then Paul Pope, yeah. you know, because he What about Miller? And Frank Miller has but less than Pope mm, in terms of drawing style. Sure. You know, uh, you mean that whole stark black and white type thing? Yeah, or those really, you know, the um, like the 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 Batman. Well, the uh, fight scene, the, 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 the really Daredevil kind of like stuff, the, the chunky, you know. Oh, what the I mean? chunkiness. Yeah, but that would that's Kirby. Oh, interesting. That's Kirby, baby. Yeah. You know, he's doing yeah. he's doing a mix of Kirby Ditko. Okay. If you look at early Ditko, yeah, that's 
there's some Sin City stuff there. There's like a lot of harsh black and white, weird kind of like even the mutants kind of that Kirby would draw, yeah. uh, Frank Miller would draw. He was just doing Ditko. So, I, I want to actually ask you. This is something I, I was I was thinking about. Um, you know, I, I I think I tagged you on that the, the the fourth world thing. I was I was uh-huh. reading that a little bit over mm-hmm. the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the nice perks of the new job is they opened up the DC app. So I was just going through yep. like reading all this. That's great. Um, at, at what point? I mean, obviously, you know, we all you know you, you, we all read Kirby mm-hmm. League growing up. But at what point was it clear that to you that like this is genius? So this is something just beyond that. You know, at what point? Is it clear that you know? Because because it, 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 all these things are so uh, subjective to the point where you know there's like Art Spiegelman wouldn't recognize Kirby as a genius. Um, at what point did it click to you that he was doing these just completely amazing layouts? Uh, I think uh, first of all, when I first saw Kirby, I think I was like everyone else. I was a little not. I didn't. I yeah. rejected him. Yeah, because it was just pulpy and we, it was boxy, and we, yeah. and of course I draw boxy now. Yeah. But uh, those weird faces, yeah, the weird <laughs> faces. This, the the you know he had by the time I was picking up a comic book that maybe Kirby drew, but definitely might have done the cover for because I think he did a lot more covers. Yeah, I was just like, oh, that's an old timer. Like that's a weird old way of doing comics, and I didn't really like discover him as it were I went toward like Ron Wilson drawing you know Marvel 2 and 1 or mm. Keith Pollard or Kerry Gamble or then our Kirby growing up was John Byrne you yep. know yep. Um, yep. so John Byrne was the guy yeah. and George Perez you know yeah. uh, so uh, when I kind of what you do is like when you hear like uh, give me you know name a band that you hear an interview with that you like and then the band talks about what they influenced sure. you go backwards sure so then you know Frank Miller yeah and John Byrne and Bruce Perez are probably talking about Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, right? Yeah. So you go a little backwards because you're going to the history. You're steeping in this stuff. And then you look at it with a different eye. And then you realize, oh, this is the original text. Okay, these guys. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who kind of broke comics because there was certain kind of comic book making early on. But when you look at that stuff, it's really primitive, like yeah. the early Batman, Superman yeah. stuff. Yeah. But then these guys kind of reinvented the wheel and really create the lexicon that a lot of us use today, okay? Including the, the, the contemporary heroes that we had, you know, mm-hmm. reading in the 80s and stuff like that. So then you're going back to the 60s and then realize they went even further back. Um, then you start to realize the genius, let's say. But then when do you fall in love with these people is, um, you know, you hear the stories. So just like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, uh, baseball is kind of a boring game to watch, okay? Sure. So what is the job of the announcer? Yeah. The guys come at the bat... And he starts talk, yeah. talking about the dude's wife who's in the Color. hospital right now yeah. or, you know, give a little background story. Yeah. So now when he goes to hit that baseball, it's not just about winning the game. Yeah. It's about doing it for his, his son or his wife or, you know, you add kind of dimensions, you know. And I feel like a lot of fine art is sold that way, too. Like I keep telling my girlfriend sure. she's got to become a serial killer so she could sell her you – know, her art will go for a lot more money. Context. Context. Yeah. So you give context. Or like you were saying with Josh Bear, which is sort of the – you know the the classic Picasso thing, which is you know showing that you have the ability to do something technically accurate, yes. and then deconstructing that. Yes, and deconstructing it. Now the thing about that is that that's you know Josh Bear's journey, or I don't even know why. Um, um, now his name is escaping me. We were talking before uh, the guy that's like Josh Bear. 
uh, that oh uh, panther panther yeah like I don't know what panther's art looks like before yeah. the panther I know yeah you know maybe he was doing like just traditional type drawing and then broke that down you yeah. know and that's why I brought up Picasso because Picasso could clearly draw yeah and then just broke all kinds of new ground but the thing that's interesting about a Josh Bear or a Gary Panther is like well then who's that audience. Is it like this kind of academic Illuminati that kind of gets it? Yes, because it's to some not degree. necessarily a commercial appeal. Yeah. But then, and I'll throw this into the, this hat <laughs> into the ring, Rob Liefeld. Now, me growing up reading comics, I got to a point where like I like John Byrne, and like yeah. you know, then a guy like Frank Quitely comes onto the scene, you know, who's more you know modern contemporary. Yeah. But meanwhile, before I Frank really Quitely, know where you're going with there this. was there was a Rob Liefeld who yeah. I. Not as a human being, but his art and comics was yeah. like, that's crap to me. Yeah. That's garbage, okay? But he becomes really popular, okay? Sure. And then... I grew up at a time where, you know, I could you, accept him at face value. He was, a, he was probably one of your guys, yeah. you know? Like, going from... Meaning not your, you were a fan of, yeah. but that was the kind of comics you were seeing, right? Jim Lee, Rob Jim Lee, Liefeld, you know, yeah. the image yeah, crew, McFarlane. right? Eric Larson. And so I fully rejected right out the gate Rob Liefeld. It wasn't until recently, and I don't mean in an ironic way or like how Ed Piscor or Michelle Fife likes uh, Liefeld in a certain way, uh-huh. okay? And, but I realized, oh, it's like folk art. It's like superhero folk art. He's not trying to do, like, tell a story in a proper way. He was, he was just having fun with a pencil, okay? Do you think that's right, or do you I, think he just wasn't? When you meet the guy, yeah. he's having fun, man. Interesting, yeah. You know, he wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. He wasn't trying to make the best superhero comic, you know, uh, or, or trying to change comics. He was trying to have fun with comics, I believe. But the thing I was going to say, and this is where it all connects, I think, with uh, Gary Panter, Josh Baer, Rob Liefeld, <laughs> is that it makes a, a reader or someone who, who might want to dabble and do comics, it makes them feel like maybe they can do it because it's not perfect. Because it's not like shaped in a certain way. Like Sometimes you look at an artist and go, I could never do that, and yeah. then you feel intimidated. What's cool about Josh Bayer and Liefeld is like you don't feel intimidated. You know, you're like, oh, there's a kind of like a childlike innate process to what they do. So I think it, what it does is engenders something in, in an artist that might feel like they're not ready for prime time or, or too shy to, to put something on paper and show it to someone mm-hmm. and go, oh, well, there's someone that like it's kind of like a kinship in a way. Not that you're going to draw like the person, but it kind of opens that door in a way. Yeah. So. I kind of look at Rob Liefeld as like a guy who's kind of like this weird superhero folk artist, right? So, it, so now I can enjoy that big-breasted Captain America drawing that everyone looks at, you know, and laugh with it instead of at it, you know? Uh, and I can also understand how... He did have how, everyone fooled, didn't he? I mean, he, he was... Uh, he, he, he made a lot of king. money. Now, if he, he didn't make king. a lot of money, we wouldn't be talking about yeah. him this way, you know? If yeah. he was just a guy that kind of entered and did this weird yeah. stuff, like, and you'd be talking about him differently. But the fact that he was so successful at yeah. it is, I think, where the scrutiny comes in, okay? But, you know, you look at his art, and, and it's very it's, – it's, it's a user-friendly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, a nine-year-old can feel less intimidated by, like, that person that's like an Alex Ross, yeah. you know, who's like the, 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 Rock, the sure. Norman Rockwell sure. of comics, you know, and go, yeah, I can't do that. And I, personally, Dean, I don't want to do that, okay? I'd rather go toward the Josh Bayer, you know, a realm of comics eventually where I'm just like, whatever comes out of my hand is the drawing onto the next. Nick Bertozzi does that. Nick Pertozzi has created a shortcut, a shorthand, where it's imperfect. 
you know, and a, a lot of deliberate accidents happen on the page. But he's te- as long as it serves the story and tells and shows the story, on to the next man. But the, but you know, but 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 I think what you're sort of running into a little bit a, a, as an artist is the difference between the simple and the deceptively simple. It, uh, it, yeah, they're simple. Like uh, deceptively simple is Alex Toth. Mm-hmm. Because you don't you don't think Bear, Bear is? Do you think he actually just just kind of shits those out? Um, if he's, let's put it, let's look at it this way. I don't know what my art looks like because it's deadline art. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I do know that my influences and, the, and, and I, probably the worst thing that ever happened to me was to read how to draw comics the Marvel way. Yeah. Because as great as John Buscema was, yeah. there was a structure to this. Is, a woman's face is this yeah. and a man's face is that. And a woman has this kind of hips and a man has this kind of, and so suddenly there's a rule based kind of thing and I'm thinking oh, okay I guess I have to draw people that way and a car that way because that's what this book said and I was I was not confident enough to like break away from that it's like maybe learning piano like that was like how to do you know comics through piano was through mm-hmm. uh, Busema so like it, whatever I was doing in kindergarten and and you know first grade I abandoned that that was my Josh Bayer kind yeah. of like Gary Panter mode, okay? Yeah. And then you get to structure. Yeah. And then once you learn like the rules, this is how you do a piano song. This is how you draw the Reed Richards by John Buscema. I was like getting confined, okay? And I've been trying to shrug that off ever since. So I guess the, the, the moment of clarity for a Kirby was to go, oh, his imagination was unbridled. Mm. You know, like... I was just talking today about Omac, okay? Omac was the last comic from for his DC Comics yeah. contract before going back to Marvel, and he literally crapped out eight issues of one of the best comics he's ever done. And not it wasn't as cohesive maybe as other things he's done, okay? And but like what the hell was going on? It was prescient. It was throwing everything in the kitchen sink at the wall. Yeah. He was uh, predicting the internet, you know? He was creating... It was so many ideas happening so quickly. Did you see Mad Max Fury Road? Mm-hmm. Now, did, when I was watching that movie, so many ideas were happening visually. Sure. I was, like, catching up the entire movie with, with the movie and being blown away at the same time. Okay? I was discussing this with somebody, and what, what's really interesting about that movie is there's kind of no storyline the, the movie's literally about them driving out and then driving back in that's, that's the storyline that's line. it that's it in fact that's the only contribution Mad Max has is uh, I think we should go back yeah because <laughs> there's actually yeah. like a system over there that maybe we can dominate but the genius you know? of the movie is that that, that doesn't matter at it all it really doesn't matter so it's situational uh, you start to learn like the dynamics of the characters yeah. and all that but there is a lot of ideas happening I mean spoiler alert and I hate to do this but the fact that Mad Max is basically a blood bag for the first half of the mm-hmm. movie. What? Yeah. What? And like that's just like one tiny thing of all the, this deluge of ideas, whether it's fashion, whether it's how you attack a car. I mean, there's a moment in the movie where you see like these weird, like, uh, they look like monsters on stilts. Mm-hmm. That's not even an, a, a narrative. Yeah. It's just ambient, you know? So in a way, Kirby's Omac was like a lot of ideas happening and then it, everything blows up at the end because you had to go back to Marvel. This is, and this, this seems to be the ideal for a lot of cartoonists is, um, you know, because uh, this is the, 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 you know, the, the, the 
the stark reality of comics from a creator standpoint is this is something that takes you you know months to do and it takes somebody you know like an hour or something to blow through right so in an ideal world and and, and this is kind of the genius of, of mad max is that you you need to watch that movie 15 times that and, and there's you, always something new yeah, and you need to read omac like yeah once a year yeah okay for me and i get something new out of it every time and I think what we're talking about is like this like labor thing, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put a lot of time into a 22-page comic. It's going to take me what feels like forever, and it's not. But then you read it in 10 minutes, and then you compare it to the other 30 comics you read that week. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, okay, whatever. And I think for me, as I get older, so maybe it's, it's, it's a mortal thing, but like do I really want to spend that much time on something that takes 10 minutes to read? Sure. And may not be as substantial as I'd like it to be, okay? Or maybe I thought it was, but no one else did. So, like, if if the art of cartooning is a re- uh, is reduction down to simple mm-hmm. terms, okay, whether it's simple or deceptively simple, okay, like, if you can arrive at a place where you're like, I'm cranking out a couple of pages a day rather than a page every day and a half, two days, you know? or Or if I could do a comic in a week... But it'll look like, you know, like my layouts, you know, a little bit better than my layouts. Why not go in that direction? Why not? For me, I want to tell more stories is what I'm trying to say. I'm telling less stories because of the, the trap I've, I've fallen into drawing. Do, do, you, do you think that that's – I mean, do you think it's improved your art? Because, you know, you, you seem to always have a million different projects that you're working on at one time. Um, has – Setting real deadlines has that improved? I mean, in a sense, it's made it. Deadlines is the only way anything gets done. Well, but beyond beyond just getting it done, but you know, uh, of actually finding shortcuts and 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 sort of like speeding through it and finding ways to do as much with as little as possible. Uh, I would like to say I, I've achieved that, and I haven't at all. Uh, I feel like the older I've gotten, the longer it takes me to do a page. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, when I did the quitter, I did it so much faster than I've done anything since. Now, if you look at the quitter and what I'm doing now, maybe my artwork's gotten more challenging and more interesting and whatever, you know? Uh, you know, one of the goals I have as an artist every year is that I'm, quote, getting better and I can look back at stuff and cringe, you know, a yeah. little bit and go, oh, okay, I see where I've improved and maybe gotten better at doing something. But... You know, uh, you know. I'm also. I mean, as much as as you said, I'm. You, you always see me doing a lot of projects. A lot of it's self-generated. A lot. Of, I'm not doing as many comics on paper or on my resumes. You think I am. Mm. I'm just showing up to my own party a lot more. So I'm also creating a lot of projects that I'm not getting paid to do. You know, like part of going to Yado or going on retreat is to like invest in myself and work on projects that may never get sold or yeah. I'll get paid for. You know, it's, it's also because I have to do it. I have to balance my life by not always be doing comics, but I love stories. So at the end of the day, if you're asking me, Dean, what do you do? I'm a storyteller. I actually show more stories than, than tell them, you know, because of a visual, yeah. visual mediums. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I, you got to generate your own work. If, uh, and it's a study. It's almost like I'm studying the form constantly. You know, whether or not it's attached to a paycheck or not. Is, for you, is what was Harvey the Gary Panther, the, the Josh Bear, the Rob Liefeld of, of storytelling in terms of accessibility? <sighs> Harvey Picar. Yeah. 
I, I have I loved Harvey and he really like broke ground for me when I when I read his comics, but I kind of feel like he wasn't a comic book writer. Well, that's I, the the question you know, is is because you know when, when when you were discussing those artists earlier, you were saying that they were the the ones who sort of you know could sh- showed people that that maybe the barrier of entry wasn't that high. And doesn't oh, I see. Harvey do that from the standpoint of he's writing about his sure. everyday life? So oh, this is something that I can do. Oh right, I mean uh, yes, because he uh, you know if if I'm intimidated by John Byrne, let's say as a kid, yeah. I was less intimidated by. Uh, not only Harvey Picard's comics in total, but like he even used artists that I even as a kid I thought, oh, I could maybe draw better or, than that. But, but no, but, but what I'm saying is really because the thing that was most intimidating to you was storytelling. So like the flip of that is if you were intimidated by Chris Claremont mm. and Harvey as a storyteller, mm. his story was I was standing behind an old Jewish lady in right. the supermarket, right. not the Dark Phoenix saga. Sure. Uh, the problem is I probably want to do the Dark Phoenix saga. Sure. So, but what it showed you was that you know. And, well, but and I split the difference. I mean, okay. again, and I know you, you you saw a little bit of beef with tomato, yeah. and I feel like if we're going to talk a little bit about memoir and autobio, yeah. traditionally, I feel like autobio comics has been I stood behind the Jewish lady at the supermarket, or I'm navel gazing, or I'm whining about my girlfriend leaving me, yeah. and after a while, I got a little bored of that. Okay, in fact, I was kind of shocked and appalled by the last Joe Matt comic, where basically he never leaves his room. Yeah. I think he pisses in a bottle that he keeps in his closet. Sounds about and right, the yeah. entire time he's editing only the cum shots of porn into mm-hmm. one videotape. Yep. There's your comic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, like on the one hand, it's kind of brilliant because it's so absurd and disgusting. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it probably took him a year to draw that comic, and then that was what he had to offer that year. Well, Joe is notoriously <laughs> and Joe's slow, crazy. and he's very slow. <laughs> yes, yes, he's very slow. But um, so again, time. Uh, so what I want to do is split the difference. So let's use Dark, Dark Phoenix Saga. So what I'm trying to find in my stories, my my memoir, yeah. real life semi autobio stuff, is well, what splits the difference? Where is it autobio because it's it's accountable to real life, and it has to be plausible. But where's the curveball where yeah. it becomes, let's call it sensational. Let's call it, you know, the, the weird, you know, uh, I, I did one of, one of the Fox stories I did is called Freak Magnet. And, it's, and, like, I was basing that a little bit on the fact that I have been a freak magnet myself. Mm-hmm. You know, weird stuff happens. I also think that happens in the, in, if you live in a big city, you know. It can also happen in the woods, you know, maybe less frequent. I don't know. But my experience is New York City, and I've had a lot of odd, weird things happen. Sure. Um, I mean, it got to the point at one one time when I, every time I left the house, someone died, and I felt like was I an a- angel of death or something, you know? And I actually had a little paranoid moment for about a month, and I wrote a screenplay about that. Um, but anyway, so uh, I just think that what I'm doing is is not only what am I willing to sit down and write and draw and spend my time doing that with no guarantee that's going to sell yeah. or that anybody's going to like it, versus you're the reader, you're the audience. I'm anticipating you. I want to entertain you. Okay? That goes back to the fact that I want to be on stage. I'm ripping off my shirt. I want you to notice me. So in some subconscious way, I'm sure what's happening, it's like some weird therapy, you know, where I'm, I'm vomiting out something that happened that maybe I need to talk about. But at the same time, I'm, I'm asking for a response. I'm, I, I want you to respond, you know, and... And, and the internet's brilliant for that, isn't it? I mean, you put stuff out there and you got anybody with a keyboard can react. 
you know. But 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 is there the notion that if this is just just straight storytelling, that people won't engage with it, that people won't respond to it? If it's just like here's my kind of boring life. Well, I'm never going to divulge my boring life. Yeah, that's boring. I yeah. mean, the, the key word you, you said, and I'm a, I'm hyper aware of that. Now, one could ask, did you make this stuff up? And I don't think there's anything in Beef or Tomato that, that's, like, impossible and couldn't have happened, you know? But I actually had some people ask that. Like, yeah. they couldn't believe. And maybe they're living a boring life or I don't know, and that's fair. You know, there's a lot of us, you know? Um, I'm hyper aware of the fact that, like, if I'm going to, you know, try to tell you any story, you know, it, it stories are, like, bigger versions of jokes, aren't they? Hmm. Don't they have a setup and a punchline sure. yeah. in some way, you know? Um, maybe not most Harvey Pekar stories, you know, and and he taught me a lot. He taught me that if he taught me anything, it's to observe and to listen. He did. He did like the tag though, especially like especially the Vertigo stuff when you were kind of working. Yeah, with that's him. Like true. he did. He did have that. That might have been editorial. That Jonathan Bankin was the editor. Yeah, and I think I actually remember Harvey gave a lot of stories, and a bunch were rejected. Yeah, I mean there are Harvey Pekar scripts out there yet to be drawn. Yeah, okay, and. I remember because I helped shepherd that project that I was given little carte blanche to pick and choose. And I would read a bunch of stories. I'd be like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, this one looks interesting because I could see the story mm-hmm. and I saw what the value was for me to, to sit down and draw it and try to add my two cents. I mean, when you're collaborating as the artist, you're the co-author, you know, no matter what. You know, I mean, and the fact that it's a visual medium also means that, you know, there's a lot of burden placed on you, you know, as the artist to give more text to, to the story in a way. How did, how did working with uh, Jonathan Ames uh, affect your storytelling? Because he seems to be a master of, of kind of taking like a straight story and then doing that, that, that twist to completely turn things on its head. Well, I think, I think Jonathan Ames' dirty little secret is vulnerability. And, you know, you've met me. I'm a little bit of, I can be a little macho. You know, I can, I can, I have a certain kind of bravado for a guy who's, who claims to be shy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> But uh, what I learned from Ames, you know, I thought was amazing was like he was the loser in his stories. He was the guy that got beat up. He was the one that lost the girl. And that was really interesting to me. It meant that I could allow myself to tell the stories where I failed. And what does that do? It makes you more relatable because we're not winning every day. Mm -hmm. We're often losing. You know, we're we're the sum of our fa- failures, you know, in a lot of ways. And I hadn't thought about life that way or how to sit down and convey those stories in that way because we live with those, you know, and it's it's the stuff that either holds us back or sometimes lights a fire so that you're not doing that in that way anymore. You learn from these things. And that's what I learned from Ames was like how to be vulnerable, how to fail in front of someone and be okay. No one's going to kill you. You know, you you uh, now we have public shaming and, and that's horrible. And we have like, again, we have these forums right now where you can diss each other left and right. But if you can diss yourself better than the other person, you're already winning. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, I guess in a sense, like, you know, uh, Billy Dogma is kind of um, he's kind of the superhero Ed, but also incredibly vulnerable at the same time. He's if, if my autobiographics are like memoir true to the sense of the word, then Billy Dogma is my more emotionally true stories. Because even though I, you know, laser blasts don't come out of my eyes and I don't walk around 
fighting, you know, cosmic deities um, or, you know, the, uh, have the con- – well, I probably did have the kind of fights that he had with Jane Legit because that's what keeps it more, you know, based in reality. But it, it, it's how I feel. You know, it, it, it's it's – and being able to access and find that stuff. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is by being able to record certain things. And then look at the stuff you've recorded, whether it was a lot of blog writing mm-hmm. or like stuff on napkins and bars or drawings, and then kind of putting that together and going, oh, wait a second. I think I see a character here. Or I see a story, which is why I couldn't do a monthly Billy Dahmer comic because he's not a franchise. You know, what he is, he's just kind of like these weird niche kind of graphic poems for me, you know, for better or for worse. But, but allegory lets you play with truth, say you wouldn't necessarily be able to play with in straight Exactly, and I need that because that's my Jack Kirby, hmm. you know. That's my Gary Panter in a way. So, and in fact, if I was drawing my autobio like Gary Panter, I wonder how that would play. You know, I feel like I'm drawing it a little more straightforward. You know, even though I play with layouts, the drawing style is very straightforward. You know. Um, and yet, with Billy Dogma, I give myself a little more latitude to draw a little more psychedelic. I guess, I guess that's, you know, I, I, um, and that's, that seems to be something that, that Ames latched onto with the Bored to Death character, with the Galifianakis character, mm-hmm. was, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because, yeah. uh, what was Super Ray, right? Super Ray, or Ray was yeah. the character, he created Super Ray, yeah. But, yeah. but, but this idea of... Um, of of really kind of blowing things out, you know, y- using these these like in a sense these small stories yeah. to create these really grand yeah. stories. Yeah, I mean, he definitely. I mean, my opinion is that all three characters—the uh, Jason Schwartzman character, the Zach Galifianakis, yeah. and Ted Danson—were the three iterations of Ames. Hmm. Okay, um, and uh, they were all speaking to each other from different eras of Ames. Or yeah. there was future Ames, and there was current Ames, and then there was like more of the playful kind of like if the the cartoonist character was the the person that kind of like you know reached outside the mind a little bit and like tried to play a little bit with fantasy and and be uh hyper vulnerable and sensitive uh, there was the pragmatic aims you know which was probably the Jason Schwartzman character trying to balance like sure. a little bit of extra too much wine yeah. versus like I'm going to try and solve a problem being the, o- like overly cautious while being completely exactly. adventurous. Yeah. And, and apologetic Impulsive. almost. Yeah. Whereas Ted Danson was like the wise Ames, but still had that playful notion of, yeah. oh, I want to try that. I want to do that. You know, like the adventure. So, um, you know, I mean, that's how I saw Bored to Death. In fact, I don't know if you've seen the first two episodes of uh, Blunt Talk. I haven't watched it yet. We, yeah. Okay, because yeah. it's, it's online now. And it, it, it uh, premieres uh, on August 22nd. Uh, but you know, uh, Patrick Stewart is his yeah. his avatar in this one, and it's more of a Shakespearean Ames that like yeah. wants to uh, save the world <laughs> through a talk show, you know. But I mean, do you? There's obviously some very clear par- parallels between you and Galifianakis. In well, that. there was some backstory that that uh, John then took for his character because yeah. his actual characterization. Is if you meet me in five minutes, we're polar opposite. Yeah. You know, uh, in fact, the first season that they shot bored to death of three seasons, I purposely tried to stay away from Zach as he developed his characterization, so that he could own it and not have any kind of similarity to me. You know, uh, and but you know the drawings and some of the sensitivity and and you know um, 
I don't know, and the fact he's kind of like a bear in a certain way, maybe has certain similarities. I'm sure Ames has a different opinion than I do about <laughs> this. Maybe I can't see you know, the trees for the forest or something. Um, and I have a different projection in my head. I see myself more as Billy Dogman than I would Super Ray. You know, I've, I've, I've got to ask you, uh, I know that um, you know, we're, and we're talking about how much you're kind of pouring yourself out on, on, the, on the pages, sure. and I know that after Seth passed, there was a while where I think you were kind of unable to draw anything right there was about a week or two and it derailed my deadlines which is fair because you know yeah. a, a good friend of mine whose chair is right there and desk is right there mm. um with you're you know you're three feet away yeah uh you know death is really difficult and and i lost my brother uh almost nine years ago and i still haven't coped with that i don't know how one deals with death to be honest but anyway so the day that I got the phone call that Seth had just passed away. I was drawing uh, a page of this character called the Red Hook, which I hope to be doing more of soon. And it was taking place in a cemetery. It's about death. And it was really weird. Like I was just, I had like another four hours to go on this page in terms of coloring and lettering. And I get the news and then I had to make a couple of phone calls. I went down the hall to my girlfriend who has a studio here, told her. And then I sat back down, and rather than go like, and of course I got sad and cried, and rather than like stop, I went back to the page, and in a way to honor Seth and this page, which I've also put online, uh, because it was really eerie that I was doing this story that had to do with a a death and coffin and gravestone. Um, You know, I that was the only thing I knew how to do was to continue to work, and. The, the really uh, personal s- sad part, the selfish part, is that Seth was a guy who every time I drew a page or had an idea in the last however many years I've known him, he and a handful of other people were the only people I would send it to right away to get a reaction. Yeah. And he was never going to see this page. He was never going to see the rest of the Fox. He, he's, I think he's read all the Beef with Tomatoes stories, but he wasn't going to see the book. We have a copy of his book here right now. You know that he never got to see, so it's very it's bittersweet. Um, you know he represents a lot of things. He was one of my best friends. He was a confidant. He was someone who, when I went off the rails, you know he's a pragmatic guy. You know, yeah. um, and you know we I I talked to his wife often. In fact, she came here. Tara came here with their son Jackson to drop off a case of books. Because, you know, we're honoring him and we're, we're like, perpetuating. You know, the cool thing about it is, uh, okay, so a great guy passed away earlier than he should have. But, you know, he, he was doing more in a hospital gown yeah. than some people do their entire lives, okay? And now there's a book and he has other things yeah. that's out there as evidence, uh, a testament of life, you know? So maybe, maybe... One of the things that I'm dealing with right now as a coping mechanism is like in talking about wanting to try and draw as fast as you can read. Yeah, yeah. I now I'm making a little bit of a connection here. Is I want to, you know, not that I'm going to die tonight or tomorrow, no. but I'm going to die someday. Time is finite, and so yeah. maybe I'm trying to crank out more stuff because that is who I am. You know, uh, I am my work. And, you know, we can hang out and drink and. Uh, diss people or may or, or or laud people, you know, like human beings do. But at the end of the day, uh, 
I feel like a lot of my work is representative, and I am conscious of that. I think I am conscious of that. You know, there's a lot of people who will draw an issue of a superhero comic because it's a paycheck and because they like to draw a fight scene, okay? I want my fight scenes to mean something. Mm. You know, I want the conversations in between to mean something. Uh, it may not be profound. It yeah. probably is not profound. But it means something to me in order to do it, to generate it. And, and I... and. And, and I suspect I don't know maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you know I, I suspect that somebody who's done all of these these different series, um, I mean you know the, the thing the thing about Seth is, and Seth did a lot of different projects, but I think Schmuck is going to kind of be his thing, right? Yeah. I mean that's that's his yeah. opus, and, and we talked about that on, in the hospital. Like, yeah. if you don't make that, are you okay with that? And yeah. he was absolutely okay yeah. with that because yeah, he knows how the book ends, you know, but. You know, the entree to this book is it's about a schmuck who's uh, not – when I say not the greatest person, he just makes a lot of stupid mistakes. Yeah, and he's a lo- schmuck. He's a schmuck. <laughs> and he has a, some really, like, uh, immature ideas of, about women. Yeah. But he grows through that. And that's actually why the book is really cool is because of that, you know? It was such an int- – it was, it was one of the interesting things about the, 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 the funeral is, is um, I don't know that I've ever been to a funeral where somebody has – a clear character arc. Uh, when the, you say the, the schmuck to the mensch that that oh yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He um, that was you see the Seth I met yeah. was already a mensch. Yeah. He, I didn't know the schmuck, and uh, it was interesting to read uh, to learn about this this history to read these stories because I kept going really like Seth like and again it's not evil it's yeah. just again being schmucky. But like he's a he, fuck up a little he, bit, yeah, yeah, as we all are, right? Yeah. And that's the Ames vulnerable thing that yeah. I latch onto, and I think is important for for a lot of auteurs, authors. Again, some people just want to draw comics. I want to write comics. I'm, I'm more of a writer than I am an artist, and I think that's what I'm discovering through all these years of be, not being confident. It's like maybe I was too scared to yeah. write. You know, I also believe that you have to live life a little before you can say something about it. But of course, but with Seth, like I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't know that person. Uh, I probably wouldn't have necessarily hung out and been friends with that person, you know? So, but it was really cool that, like, for some reason, he had to not only record and craft, but he had to divulge this stuff, which kind of leads me back to uh, Hari Pekar. Yeah. When we uh, pitched The Quitter, originally, I assigned the project, I called it Street Code, which I would later call mine yep. in homage to Jack Kirby's mm-hmm. only autobio story called Street Code. And he dug that, and he thought that was really cool. And right before we were about to announce the project and we were getting into it, he called up, and he was upset. And he called up me, and they called up the editor, and he insisted. He said, I'm calling this book The Quitter. And I was like, okay, Harvey, but but why? Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's a sexy title, guy. You know, like, yeah. And he was like, because I quit a lot of things. I want everyone in the world to know that I was a quitter. And I was like, if that's really important to you, I don't know where this you know moment happened to him where he decided not only was that going to be the book title but he needed the world to know that he was a quitter whatever but that's kind of brilliant yeah because also a lot of people quit things you know it's it's if you put out a book called knight in shining armor Mm -hmm. no one's gonna buy that you know no one's interested in you being a hero you can be heroic but often the hero's journey is a lot of failures isn't it a lot of fuck-ups and you get to a point where you get to this place where can you be a hero? Can you do something heroic? You know, that's what, I mean. That, that's why Superman is such a hard character to very enjoy. difficult it's character. 
He's invulnerable. He's invulnerable. That's, he that was the genius of Kirby and, and Lee. Oh, yeah. And Ditko yep. are these characters with these, these built-in Flaws. problems. Yeah. All flawed yeah. characters. I, isn't the joke that, like, uh, how do you know a DC Comics character? It's because they have uh, daddy issues or mm-hmm. something. But, uh, you know, with Marvel, it was flaws. Yeah. It was science fiction monsters, you yeah. know. Uh, men who either were greedy or, like, it was an accident. or But they always had a secondary subplot to them that was, like, was the crux of their character, you know. So, so not to, you know, keep being morbid, but, you right. know, when, when, when you... When you, now that you're sort of thinking about, I don't, I don't even know if legacy is the right word, but mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we uh, you know, Har- Harvey's obviously got like American Splendor, sure. Um, you know, Seth has has Schmuck, and when you look at and his photographs, his tons yeah, of photographs, yeah. Um, but but when when you look at the, 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 all these like really diverse things you've done over the years, um, you know, is it Billy Dogma? Is it this beef with tomatoes? The you know the auto bio stuff like what what do you feel like is the thing that you want people to it'll, remember it'll be billy for? probably be billy dogma. billy dogma just because like if if i were to look at scrutinize my work i really love being able to play with 10 issues of the fox and maybe i'll get to do more that's probably my longest run on anything uh i am excited that i was able to draw canon fantastic four yeah even if it was yep. like nine yep. pages yep you know i love like, the way you draw the thing and i already uh, told you that thank you you thank clearly you. are having fun drawing i love the thing and i figured them out it's hard to figure out um you know i've done a ton of projects i love the alcoholic i love cuba my revolution i love working with harvey Picar. i i love collaboration but if i have to be known for uh, uh you know a little bit of work it's so far it's my Billy Dogma stuff because I feel like like it is my voice for better or for worse drawing written and and you know I've also written some prose that I'm starting to get a little excited about so maybe that'll start yeah. to compete with my comics work uh, I'm you know I'm 48 but hopefully I've only lived you know half my life and maybe I'm entering a new realm of story making you know um, but for now if I was to croak it'd probably be Billy Dogma you know. Don't stop! Don't stop drawing, Dean. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. There you go. That was a great Dean Haspiel. I thought that was a lot of fun. Very, very, very wide-ranging interview. Kind of went all over the place over the course of an hour, which is uh, exactly uh, exactly what I like out of my interviews. Thanks so much to Dean for taking the time to do that. Thanks to uh, everybody at the uh, Hangdai Studios for for accommodating that. Really fantastic studios out of uh, Gowanus, Brooklyn. Lots of great folks, lots of great cartoonists, lots of great books coming from uh, from over there. Speaking of great books, uh, Dean's new book, Beef with Tomato, is out. I believe you can actually pick it up this week from uh, Alternative Comics. It's a collection of a lot of his autobiographical stuff. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. Very much uh, as we, you know, as we spoke during during the interview. You know, I think in a lot of ways this is. Um, this is kind of the the, uh, the all the Harvey Picar, uh, Jonathan Ames work that he's been doing over there has 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 rubbed off had it had its effect on him and you know I think that this is some of uh, some of his, his most honest work so certainly worth checking that out uh, thanks uh, again to him for, uh, for for suggesting the interview and and taking the time to do that uh, thanks to Brian as always for editing the show together uh, thanks to you the listeners for uh, for putting up with the fact that it's been it's been about. Uh, 
a fortnight, as it were, since I've, I've done this. I was in Brooklyn doing a Brooklyn. <laughs> I was in. No, that would be a terrible. That'd be a terrible excuse for not doing a, a podcast. Uh, I was in Berlin for uh, for a, a, a week doing uh, covering some tech stuff out there. Uh, the good news is I did a, a really wonderful interview with uh, Oliver Schwarin while I was out there, so that will be coming up. Um, still have a ton of stuff to get through from uh, from Comic Con. We haven't even got to the vast majority of that stuff. Um, probably going to be uh, heading out to uh, the uh, uh, Brooklyn Book Fair this weekend, doing some interviews out there. There's the Baltimore Comic Show. Lots of comics. I I, I really hope if you uh, if you've been listening to the show that you enjoy comics because a lot and a lot and a lot of good comics related interviews coming up uh if you liked what you heard you can send us an email it's rylcast at gmail.com i could, i suppose you can also use that uh, email address to send us mean things as well it's uh it's a free country uh follow us on tumblr that's rylcast.tumblr.com that is the first and best place to get all the information about the show uh, uh itunes is a place as well that has a podcast wherein you can find this very one so uh check us out over there check out all the many great boing boing podcasts over there as well and while you're over at itunes you should take the time to to rate the show uh we got a facebook page I update that from time to time. Uh, certainly, certainly worth liking us over there. It will cost you absolutely nothing, unless you don't. You know, if you don't have a Facebook account, don't just don't don't even. Certainly, certainly not worth worth the effort. Uh, I guess that's. I'm sorry, I'm very sleep deprived right now, but I think that's that's just about all I got. So we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of Riyl. Mm-hmm.